Hey. Anyway, I, just so you know, some of what I'm talking about, what I got from her deal, and I had to merge. Anyway, it's a big merging together of my notes and her notes, and we'll make it work. But um, so uh, so yeah, that's what that's what the, that's why I'm up here doing this. So um, last week we heard a disturbing story in the book of Acts about Ananias and Sapphira, and uh, they lost their lives because of because they lied, they committed hypocrisy. And so tonight we're going to hear another powerful story about someone losing their life, but for a completely different reason. This is the story of Stephen. He was the first person in the New Testament to give up his life for his faith. He was the first martyr. So um, look with me at Acts chapter 6. Turn on your apps or turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 6. And I don't know if we are going to have it. We're not going to have it on the screen. But um, you guys can have it there in front of you. Um, Acts chapter 6, verse 8. And it says, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did wonders, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Okay, so Stephen is performing miracles, but then there's like this opposition that arises. And it's interesting because um, we see the same pattern with Jesus, because miracles with Jesus always led to opposition. You ever notice that? How he would do a miracle... And instead of the Pharisees or the, the, the spiritual, you know, religious people, instead of them being impressed with the miracle, they want to argue about the miracle, right? They want to argue about the day he chose to do a miracle and make that the issue and neglect the fact that they just witnessed a miracle, right? So Stephen is, is doing miracles, but instead of like glorifying God, praising God, they have the same reaction they, that they had to Jesus and they just want to argue with him. And so this is, miracles lead to opposition. Um, I think this shows a couple things. One, it shows how some people are so opposed to the truth that they will never see it. Like they can witness a miracle in front of them and they want to argue about the details of the miracle, right? And we see this happening with Stephen just like it happened with Jesus. So um, they try to argue with him. But he is so full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit, um, so they know they're no match for him. And so they go find some other guys to accuse him. So they go find people that they can, they can get to accuse him before the Jewish religious court. So they accuse Stephen of committing blasphemy against the temple and their law. And uh, once again, who does that sound like? You can see here, like, there's this theme. There's a lot of tie-ins uh, to Stephen's life and, and what's going to happen with him. And Jesus. So Jesus was accused of the same kinds of things. They would always accuse Jesus of, the, of these similar kinds of uh, religious crimes. 
So now this whole religious court is, is staring at Stephen. And in verse 15, it says when they, when they looked at his face, it was like the face of an angel. Now, I think we have a flawed view of what an angel really is, what an angel really looks like. Because the minute I said angel, there's this mental image that popped into your head, right? Like you pictured, when I said that word, you pictured a little fat baby angel when I said that statement, right? Sitting on a cloud, and that's the image that we often have of these angelic beings in the Bible. But in the Bible, when angels show up, people often do something um, completely different. They fall on the ground, they, they out of reverence, or they go hide in fear. And so this is, this is kind of what I'm picturing. It's not, not the face of an angel like you might think of on a Hallmark card, but the face of an angel, like biblical idea, that, that he's about to say something that's prophetic to these people. And that's just what he does. So right when you think Stephen is going to rip into them. So what does he do? I'm going to summarize a large chunk here because it's a long passage. He gives them this long history lesson about Israel. And when I was kind of reading through Catherine's notes, I liked what she said. I'm kind of adopting what she said here. And that that is, um, it's interesting because when you read it, you go, okay, really, is he going to like, is he not going to just bore them to death with this history lesson? That's That's his response to their accusations about about who he is and what he's about. But that's not really what he, he's not just giving them a history lesson for no, for no purpose. Um, this is really the setup before he drops the hammer on these people. He's reminding them that their reaction against him isn't an isolated incident. He's letting them see all through Israel's history. Um, as you go through all the different, you know, hundreds of years, how people have rejected prophets, they've rejected God's messengers. They've rejected, um, you know, judges throughout, throughout their history and, uh, and turned their back on God. And he's saying, and, and leading up to Jesus, he says, you did this to Jesus, and you've done it throughout your entire history. So he, he summarizes all of Israel's history. And then look at verse 51 in chapter 7. Go to chapter 7, verse 51. Skip all the way over there. And then he gets really, I picture him getting really loud at this point of the speech. He says, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. So stiff-necked, just real simply, it means stubborn unwilling to, to bow to the truth. Also, it could mean someone who is unable to turn their head to see the truth. So, uh, you know, before COVID, I, I used to always tell you guys that, you know, I, I would try to stay in shape, go to the gym, those kind of things. I haven't been to the gym since March. I just do stuff at the house and, um, and run around the neighborhood. That's, that's my treadmill now is the neighborhood. And, uh, but, when I would go to the gym, there would be a few times where I would do something stupid. I'd, I'd be doing a certain move in the weight room, and I might turn my head for some reason, and I'd get this neck spasm that would just be the worst feeling. And if I got it just right, I'd leave the gym with this really stiff neck. And for days, like, you can't, like, if you, if you say, 
hey, Dave, I would turn like this. I'd have to go, yes, because I can't turn my neck, right? And it would just seize up and be several days like that. And whenever this happens, when I'm driving a car, my vision is skewed because I can't turn my head to the side. I'm just driving the car, and I have to rely on the mirrors. And I can't turn my head the way I'm supposed to normally turn it. So my vision is skewed because I've got this stiff neck. And in a way, these religious people are the same way because they have this stiff neck, unresponsive towards God. Their their spiritual vision is now skewed. They can't can't see everything. They can't see clearly because of of their um, rebellious heart towards God. I think for some of us, this is true spiritually for us. Our stiff neck hinders our spiritual vision. And some of you might be here tonight struggling with this. And even right now, God's trying to reach you, but you're, you're just in this stubborn spot for whatever reason and unwilling to see spiritual truth, unwilling to repent and turn to him. That's what these, where these people were in this story. And usually whenever we're, you and I are in this kind of place, someone telling us that we need to repent just gets us angry, right? And that's how these men react. And now they want to now they want to put Stephen to death. So I want you to take a time out and listen just real briefly. If you want to if you want to kill the person who's telling you truth, then you probably need to hear whatever it is they have to say, right? So I'm always amazed at the thinking of those who killed Jesus and those that are trying to kill Stephen here. I can just picture the accusers like huddling up and I picture the, the accusers of Jesus doing the exact same thing whenever Jesus would confront the Pharisees. And I picture them just huddling up and saying, okay, he's saying that, that we're evil, so we're not evil. What are we going to do to prove that we're not evil? Well, let's kill him. It's like, do you understand the irony here? It's like, if you want to kill the messenger that's bringing the truth to you, you might need to listen to what they're saying if what they're saying causes that kind of reaction in you. So for you and I, if hearing truth leads to anger, then chances are we need to hear it. And that's what I think is happening in this story. Skip down to verse uh, 54. Actually, just the next verse. 54. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, look, he said, I see heaven open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God at this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices they all rushed at him dragged him out of the city and began to stone him meanwhile the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul verse 59 while they were stoning him Stephen prayed Lord Jesus receive my spirit then he fell on his knees and cried out Lord do not hold this sin against them When he had said this, he fell asleep. So Stephen, he looks up into the sky and he sees this vision of Jesus standing next to his father. I wonder why God did that. I wonder why God gave Stephen this vision of Jesus next to his father right before he was put to death. I think he did it because he knew that Stephen would need great strength to get through the final few moments of his life. So they take him outside, they rush at him, 
They begin to stone him. And then what does he do? Well, instead of fighting back, he turns the other cheek. Just like Jesus. And so as rocks begin hitting him in the head and the shoulders and in his neck, Stephen then drops to his knees and he utters his last words. He says, his la- watch this, his last words were, Lord, do not hold this against them. Remember what Jesus said as he died on the cross? He said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. So Stephen died praying for his murderers, just like Jesus. If this were a movie, this is the part where we'd want Jesus to ride on a, on a white horse and wipe out all the bad guys and rescue Stephen. So why doesn't he do that? Well, why doesn't Jesus do something? Well, Jesus did do something. He gave Stephen the grace to forgive his murderers. And he gave Stephen the power to pray for these men that are putting him to death right there in that moment. So I want you to imagine if you were part of this crowd stoning Stephen and then you, then you hear the person that you're throwing rocks at praying for you as, as the rock you hold in your hand is hitting them in the face, you hear that person praying for you. Like, how, how, would that, how would that impact? How would that affect you? And then in verse 58, toward the end, we hear about a man named Saul, who you might know by the name of Paul. And he is right there aiding them in Stephen's death. And I've always wondered this. Do you think that once Paul became a Christian later on, that he was ever haunted by this scene? Like, laying awake at night, like hearing the words over and over again of someone like Stephen praying for him. Like, I, I wonder if that's what took place after the conversion of Paul. And what's really amazing about this story is that you see Stephen praying for his murderers and Saul, before he becomes Paul, is there aiding these men killing Stephen. And Stephen's praying for his murderers And then later on, what happens? God answers his prayer by bringing Saul to Jesus, and he becomes Paul. And so this is the the beginning of us hearing a lot about the Apostle Paul. I think we forget his background, his past, who he used to be. And so you're going to hear more about him in the coming weeks. But I think right here we see that God is planting a seed in Paul before his conversion. And this is the kind of faith that Paul would need one day to face his own persecutors one day. So the scene playing out in front of Paul right here is the same kind of faith that he's going to need to face his persecutors later on throughout the book of Acts. So I'm going to pray for us, and you guys can go to your discussion in just a minute. God, thanks for your word. Thank you that we get to um, open your word and, and, and see stories that are life-changing, see stories that are written by you to us, to challenge us, to grow us, to help us in our faith. And God, I pray for um, just all the students that are here tonight. I pray for any of them that may not know you. Maybe they're like the ones described in the story that are 
are stiff-necked and just rebelling against you and, and, and they can't see spiritually because they, their vision is skewed because of, of how stubborn they've been towards you. I pray that you would bring them to repentance. I pray that you would bring them to a place of, of submission to you and surrender to you. God, I pray there would be conversations here tonight where they would talk about that with their leaders and their, and their peers and that you would draw them to yourself in a miraculous way. That by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would bring um, anyone here who doesn't know you to salvation. We pray for that, Father. God, we also pray for anyone that is just, um, they know you, but they're just struggling. And God, I pray that this, this is an encouragement uh, to them, for them tonight, to live out their faith in, in, with bold faith, Father, and not to fear what might happen to them. We know you give us these stories. At first glance, it might seem these stories would, would scare us away from, from faith and scare us away from following you. But at the same time, we know reading these stories and seeing someone cling so closely to you in their death that can also encourage us and help us to know that there is something um, else worth living for besides just what we have in this life. And help us to see that clearly tonight, Father. We pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, guys, so here's the plan. Um, We're going to ask you guys to stay out here and everything with your discussion. Um, if leaders